and there was a snake, a serpent came to her. And he said, did God say you're not allowed to eat of any of the fruit on these trees? And he said, no. God said we can eat of any of the fruit of these trees except from this tree. In fact, God said, if we touch this tree, we will certainly die. Ah! Says the serpent, you will not die. God knows if you eat from this fruit, you will become like God. You will know the difference between good and evil. So Eve looked at the fruit and she thought, it's delicious. It looks fantastic. So she took some and she ate some and she gave some of them to Adam. And Adam, Adam ate some. And the next moment, they realized that they were naked. So they put some thick leaves together to try and cover themselves up. That evening, God came to visit them like he usually does. And he was looking for them. Adam, Eve, where are you? Here we are, God. We're hiding. Why are you hiding from me? We're hiding because we realize we're naked. Who told you that you... Did you eat from the tree that I forbid you to eat from? The serpent, said Eve. The serpent. He tricked me and I ate some of the fruit. It's actually Adam that answered first. And he said, God, the woman you gave me, she gave me some of the fruit and I ate it. Eve said, it's the serpent that tricked me and I ate some of the fruit. God looked at the serpent and he said to him, the curse that we just read in the Bible, he said to him, because you've done this, you will be cursed among all the animals and you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust. And you, your offsprings, will bite the heel of Eve's offsprings. But one day, the offspring of Eve will crush your head. He looked at Eve and he said, Eve, because you've done this, eat from the fruit that you, I forbid you to eat from. You will bear children with great pain from now on. And your husband will be your head. He looked at Adam and he said, Adam, because you've eaten from this fruit, I will curse the world. And from now on, you will have to work extremely hard to produce food for yourself. Then God took some animal skins and he clothed Adam and Eve. Then God said, there's also a tree, the tree of life. If they eat of that tree, they will live forever. So he took Adam and Eve out of this beautiful paradise that he created for them. And he called an angel and he said to him, guard the entrance that they can never come back. And the angel was standing there with a sword full of flames. And Adam and Eve could never ever return back to that beautiful world God created for them. Now that gives you the background and the backdrop of what happened in Genesis 3. And as you remember correctly, I've, I've worked through Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 where we see God created the world and every time he ends up saying, this is good. He created it all good. He created Adam and Eve. 
He first created Adam and then he realized he's going to need a mate. And he created Eve. And he again said, it's all good. And then we got to Genesis 3. The piece of history that we now, we now into. Now, the first question is, is the world basically good or basically bad? In this time where we're coming up to Christmas and you talk to people about God and you want to tell him about Christ and the birth of Jesus, our Savior, I come across people that tell me, you know, if God is good, why do so many bad things happen? And they can typically quote somebody that was serving the Lord really well and everything and died of cancer when he was really, really young. Or someone else that might have lost a child. And they, they, they trick us in starting to focus on that and talk about that. Is that your experience? When you talk to people about God, they don't want to hear about God. But on the other side, they very frequently want to listen to scientists. And scientists are telling us, and it's the truth. Here I can show you a graph. Poverty is declining. The scientists are solving the world's problems. Since 1800, there was, in 1800, 85% of people live under $2 a day, which is defined as extreme poverty. At the moment, it's only 9%. And there's people that working make poverty history. They reckon they're going to solve the problem of how finances and food work. But these are, are scientists that come up with this uh, solution. Just one other example, for instance, is did you realize that in the 1800s, roughly half of children die under the age of five? If you want to end up with two children, you have to have four, because two is typically going to die. Right now, amazingly, we're down to 4%. And this is world statistics. It's not just Australia. In Australia, it's probably even less. Children don't really die under five years anymore. And I'm not sure we might one day hear a testimony of people in our congregation that can vouch for the fact of how wonderful God is using science and technology. So we live in this world with these contrasts. On the one hand, the world is bad, and it's going bad, and it's declining, and everything is just not working out. On the other hand, the world is actually better, and it's measurably better how it's going with humans right now. So if you pose the question, is the world basically good or basically bad? The answer is very simple. Yes. The world is actually good and the world is bad. Now I'm going to look at the scriptures that we've, that we've read this morning. And I call, given it the title of the promise wrapped in a curse. Because you've heard all this curse. And right, roughly half a sentence is a promise. And it's so easy to miss it. And it's so easy to look at the world and miss the promise of what God's going to do. In the first place, if we look 
we're going to spell out how God will redeem his people. We're going to look at, create an explanation of what, how can we explain this dichotomy of it's going well. No, it's not going well. No, it's going well. No, it's not going well. And how do we allocate it to what is the cause of that? And then we're going to look at some applications, which is relevant in this time of Christmas, where we want to encourage you to talk to other people about God. And there's a mission and outreach service in the form of carols coming up, and you'll hear about that today as well. So let's just look how did... Um, how God spelled out how people will re- how God will redeem His people. So you can see He created everything good. It's for, gone to rot. They've sinned. They've done stuff that, that God said they shouldn't do. How is God going to restore it? And this, by the way, is the gospel that was carrying the whole Old Testament, and it's ingrained in the Jewish. Tradition. They were expecting a Messiah based on this verse that said an offspring of Eve will crush the head of the, the serpent's offspring. Okay. So God has made that promise within this curse that he's put over the whole world. And that became the gospel of the whole Old Testament. And as I said, the Jews expect the Messiah. Isn't it heart-sawn and, and quite sad that the Jews are often the people that missed it? They're still expecting the Messiah. And maybe because we didn't tell them the gospel. So if you've got a Jewish friend, make sure that you tell them the gospel. It's now happened. We can look back in history you must be clear that when the head is crushed of the serpent, Satan will be destroyed. It will be fatal, that incident. Although Satan will fight back, but he will only be able to harm the heel of Eve's offspring. The last thing, or the second last thing is, Satan will in the end attack Jesus. Can you remember when he tried to get Jesus to listen to him? He used the exact same trick that he did with Eve. He said to Jesus, I took him up on a mountain, and he said to him, jump off, and the angels will carry you. In the first instance, he said, worship me, and I'll give you everything that you've came to do and it won't cost you your death. I'll give it to you. And, but Jesus did not fall for that trick of Satan. And if you analyze how we get conned in this world, Satan is using exactly the same trick. And maybe one, it's warranted a sermon just on that. <clears throat> and in the end, Jesus is the one that will crush the serpent's head. I just need to clarify a couple of things. And that's in the first place, if you just read Genesis 3, it's not necessarily clear that the serpent 
is also Satan, is it? It doesn't actually say it there anywhere. And even if you say it's Satan, then you've got another problem. And that is Satan does not have children. So Satan having an offspring is not quite correct. Bear that in mind. So let's look at how will we create an explanation for the current world we live in. Where God says, I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between you, Satan, offspring and, or descendants, and her offspring or descendants. So, first of all, how do we understand Satan's offspring if we agree that there won't be any offsprings? Or there won't be descendants as such? Well, one of the things is, we, as often in the Bible, we need to understand it in a spiritual sense. And one of the examples is, he called, he called um, Satan's descendants in John 8 verse 44... John 8 verse 44, um, Jesus said to uh, the Pharisees, he said, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then he said to them this, You are of your father the devil, and you and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. So you can see he has at least one reference where he's using uh, man, humans, in this particular case Pharisees, and he calls them the offspring of, or he called the devil their father. So we have to see the offspring of Satan in a spiritual sense. And similar, Eve's offspring it includes the whole of humankind. For the first time until Jesus was there, it was actually only inclusive of the Jews. And God have frequently renewed his promise. For instance, um, to Abraham in, in Genesis 12 verse 2. Genesis 12, verse 2, he, uh, Jesus, uh, God, called Abraham and he said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's one example where God renewed his covenant with the offspring of Eve. Another example would be um, in um, David, in Samuel 7 verse 9. Where is it now? And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. So you can go and read that in 2 Samuel 7, where he renewed his promise in this particular case to David. And throughout the Old Testament, God has often renewed his promise. So that leads us to applications. 
How do we apply this knowledge? For starters, we need to cultivate in ourselves the ability to see the world through God's eyes. We need to see this tension between the evil one, between Satan and God's people. Uh, And for that, I want to read to you Revelation 12. And it's a vision that, you remember, Revelation is written by John, the disciple, on Patmos. And he saw a vision from God. And this is the vision that I saw. And it's described as the woman and the dragon. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child. One who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and the angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. Again, the link between Satan and the serpent. That ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. So here we see the devil being cast down to the world. But he's a defeated one. His time is up. So how do we understand this world? We're in the midst of this war between good and evil. While I was preparing this, I spoke to somebody else in the congregation and I gave them a, a text that happens to hang in my parents' house. At some times, it was badly damaged by a fire, but somebody restored it lovely again, and I've now got it in my house. And it's from 1 Peter 5, verse 7, that says, Cast your care upon him, and he will care for you. But if you read the bits around it, It actually comes and says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty arm of God, 
so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties onto, on him. He, because he cares for you. But then it ends up with the next verse. And it gives us a guideline for how we got to live our lives right now. Understanding the world, that this fight is on. Satan is already uh, on his way to be destroyed by Jesus. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Let's be humble. Let's be watchful. In this time, as an application, be ready to answer people in the world's question. Tell them the story of how the world got into this mess. How Adam and Eve sinned against God and how the world was cursed because of that. But also tell them the story of the promise that was in that curse. And you can be witnesses because you've read the Bible where four eyewitnesses documented quite clearly that Jesus came, that he died for our sins and that he's in heaven right now ruling with his Father, preparing a place for us. I'll come back to the question, are the world basically good or the world basically bad? The answer is yes. But it also means depends. Did you want a question? Oh no, you just put up your hand. And you can hear very clearly see how this fits together. This promise within a curse that happened right at the beginning of the world. And we can look back at Jesus that already came and destroyed Satan. And we're now waiting for Jesus to come again so that we can be together. May God bless us all with our walk, in our walk with him. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do just want to fall down at your feet. And we do just want to worship you and praise you for the wonderful plan that you've made for us. I pray for each one here, pray for each one that hear this message. Let them be able to apply it in their lives and let them be able to be witnesses of the wonderful promises that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.